from the Gospel of Luke. In that region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Be not afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy, which will come to all the people. For to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying which had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary kept all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. After I was uh, ordained a priest, I um, went back to school uh, for spiritual direction. And it, it was something that I knew even before I began seminary studies that I felt the Lord drawing me in this direction. But I had to go through more formation to get to more formation to eventually get more formation. <laughs> We're always being formed. Um, but um, in this particular program that I was in, we kind of followed uh, the same format each session. And the way it looked like it was in the morning, uh, we would discuss as a class uh, the theory and the history of spiritual direction, particularly within the church. And we would study different schools of spirituality. But then, in the afternoon, we actually did spiritual direction. But the way we did it was, it was in front of the whole class, out loud. <laughs> and the way this looked like is we were, we were paired up with another person, and nobody escaped because you eventually switched roles. And so we were paired up with another person. One person was the directee, the other person was the director. And the rule for the directee was pretty simple. They were just supposed to share what was going on in the past 24 hours in their relationship, their prayer with God. Because even though it was school, we had three uh, one-hour sessions of prayer a day. So there was a lot of prayer going on, so a lot to talk about. And so that was the rule for the directee. And there was only one rule for the director. And the rule was the director was not allowed to talk. And I remember the first time I heard this, I was like, this is ridiculous. Like, I'm the director. <laughs> How am I going to direct 
if I can't talk. And then, so it was explained a little more clearly. Um, the director wasn't allowed to talk until the directee was finished. And then the only thing the director was allowed to say was he was supposed to summarize what he heard the directee saying. And if the directee gave like a thumbs up, like that's a good summary, and the class agreed, then you could continue. And it was only then, at that moment, when uh, spiritual direction actually began. It was a pretty intense experience. I'm a little traumatized still from it. But it was actually, I think, genius, because it was really an exercise in listening, um, which, which became um, a very profound and humble experience of really listening to God in another person. And that experience, as, you know, as strange and almost as awkward as it was at first, uh, really became, over the years, um, a life-changing experience. That whole program was probably, or is probably, uh, one of the greatest graces of my life. And the reason why uh, I say that is because it gave me what I like to call a, a contemplative orientation, which... I didn't really have before. I mean, I was sort of aware of it, but I had no idea how to sort of dispose myself to it. And this new contemplative orientation affected every aspect of my life. It affected the way I prayed, the way I would approach spiritual direction and ministry in general. It would affect the way I lived my life as a religious and as a priest and affected all of my relationships with people. And the reason why I call it a contemplative orientation is because it had listening as its very foundation. It has listening as the primary posture before God and other people. And to put everything else, activity, our interpretations of God, our own judgments, as secondary, as flowing from this reality of listening. But quite honestly, this is not natural for us. And it certainly wasn't natural for me. Most of us begin life and we approach life, whether it's prayer or ministry or fraternal living, we usually begin those things with our ideas, with our plans and agendas and opinions and our desires. So for most of us, our basic posture before life, before God, is usually one of activity. Doing, thinking, and planning. Now, are any of those things bad? 
Well, of course not. We have to think. Sometimes I wish people would think a little more. <laughs> but we have to think, we have to plan, and of course we have to do something. We first have to listen. It should be no surprise that, especially in this talk, I would like to speak about Our Lady as simply the one who truly listens to God, whose whole life flows from this contemplative posture or this contemplative orientation. In other words, how Mary's whole life is rooted in a deep and profound listening to God. In the Gospel account that I just read, that little account is simply just referred to as the shepherds and the angels. And what is occurring in this Gospel? These poor shepherds are watching over their flock. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appears to them and tells them not to be afraid. And he talk, the angels talk to them about this Savior is, is being born in Bethlehem. And so the angels tell the shepherds to go. And when the shepherds go to Bethlehem, they found everything just like the angel said. Imagine for a moment if a stranger showed up at your house and told you everything about some of the most intimate realities of your life. It certainly is on one level mysterious, to say the least, uh, but somewhat strange. And yet we are told that when they arrive, and they find Mary and Joseph and the child Jesus, that Mary kept all of these things, pondering them in her heart. We'll come back to that verse in another talk. But how is Mary able to ponder these events in her heart? Because she is listening. She is deeply listening to all that is occurring. And because she is deeply listening, she encounters and is able to see the presence of God in all that is occurring. And not necessarily in a sensible way, or not necessarily psychologically or emotionally. But beneath all of that, in the very depths of her heart, her listening enables her to perceive and to at least be able to say interiorly, it is the Lord. And this does not imply, of course, that there's understanding or clarity about everything that is occurring. 
Because the truth is, in many ways, there doesn't need to be for Mary here. Because her listening is so deeply rooted in faith, in hope, and in love. That Mary just doesn't see uh, a strange occurrence happening here. But because she's so wide open to God, she can see in all of this mystery, she can hear in all of this mystery, the presence of God. And because that is Mary's foundation, her listening reaches a depth and travels far deeper than merely human reasoning and just simply the natural world. Maybe uh, another way of saying it is that because Mary truly believes in God, not just with her head, but because she also loves and hopes in God so purely and so deeply, she is able to hear Him in all of the mysterious and strange circumstances that make up her life. And I think it's also important to notice here that Mary is not tucked away on some, in some retreat center like we are. Nor is she removed from the burdens of daily life. But nor is she surrounded by the consoling presence of family and friends. These are often situations for us, being tucked away on a retreat or being around family and friends, that oftentimes make it easier for us to believe. That is not Mary's real life situation here. Mary is simply listening deeply to these events and to the circumstances of her life as they really are. And this is, in a sense, Mary's secret. <clears throat> or what I like to call the Marian posture. What is this Marian posture? It is first and foremost a deep and attentive listening to God. It is a listening that says, Here I am, Lord with all of myself, just simply before you. I want and I desire nothing else. It is this Marian posture that enables her to ponder what, how crazy life is? No but to ponder how wonderful and mysterious God is. 
that in the midst of what can appear crazy, and on one level certainly is, that God is not only present, but he's doing profound and beautiful things. Because Mary is before God like this, she's able to ponder his mysterious ways. And this is Mary's posture in prayer, but also in life. And so one thing that this Marian posture does it reminds us of something very important. And it's that prayer and life are not two separate realities. God and life are not two different worlds. The best context for you and I to pray in is your life as it really is. You know, being here on retreat, this is not our life. If we tried to stay here forever, it would dissipate, right? So it would not be good for us to try to stay here and just pray all the time. The best context for us to pray in is our life as it really is. Mary is able to listen to, deeply to God in life because she listens to God deeply in prayer. And the opposite, of course, is true as well. Because she listens deeply to God in prayer, she's able to listen deeply to God in life. This is the Marian posture. And we can trace this throughout her entire life. At the Annunciation, which simply could be called a, a moment of deep union with God, we could refer to it as certainly a, a contemplative experience. That moment of profound contemplation and encounter with God leads her to the visitation, to visit Elizabeth. It leads her to service. And as she's there, and Elizabeth proclaims to her, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, she's listening to God in her real life, which then leads her back to prayer, specifically the prayer of praise that is the Magnificat. And from the Magnificat, at least biblically, we are led then to the birth of Jesus. Where Mary is, if you remember from this morning, abandoning herself to divine providence, to the mystery of God, which are the real events and circumstances of her life. And now here with the shepherds and the angels, 
she's returning again to a more contemplative posture where she's able to ponder inwardly all of these mysterious events and circumstances. And so Mary goes from life to prayer, from prayer to life. The way she acts in prayer is the way she acts in life. The way she loves and believes and listens in prayer is the way she loves and believes and listens in life. There's no dichotomy in Mary. It's a beautiful little book called uh, The Hermitage Within which is uh, written by an anonymous author. And he has this beautiful line about Our Lady. He says, A contemplative soul, if there ever was one, Mary never left the presence of God. She exposed her virgin soul to the warming light of God's love, to be permeated by its rays. Like a mirror undimmed by any shadow, she received God's image to reflect it back in adoration and praise. How desperately we need this Marian posture. How desperately we need Mary to teach us to listen to her son. Certainly in prayer, but also, and just as importantly, in our life, as it really is. You know, here is something funny about us human beings. We spend most of our day talking to ourselves. (laughs) You agree? (laughs) We spend most of our day talking to ourselves about God, about other people, about our wants, about our plans, about the way we think things should be. And so for most of us, Life is a monologue with ourselves. And we wonder why we feel crazy sometimes. Mm-hmm. And do you know what the most common question we ask ourselves in this monologue is? Or the thing that we ponder most? It's the question, what if? And then fill in the blank. All day long, we're asking ourselves, what if this situation doesn't work out? What if I get sick? What if this person doesn't understand me? 
What if I'm not able to do what I want to do? Or what I think I should do? Or what I think is God's will? There are so many what ifs in life. And most of us live our lives, unfortunately, upon the what ifs of our life. And so we become slaves to what might happen, rather than living as free sons and daughters of God. Part of Mary's secret in this Marian posture is that she knows that the presence of God is reality. And that even if all of these what-ifs came true, which, for the record, 99.5% of them just simply don't come true. But even if they did, they could not take away God's presence. And they could not take away God's love for us. So in a very real way, what are we worried about? But as tragic as that is, do you know what the greatest tragedy in all of this is? Is that living our lives based upon these what-ifs it takes us out of this Marian posture. It removes us from this deep listening and this pondering of the Lord and His mysterious ways. And it puts us on the defensive. It puts us back at the center. Because now, I must protect myself. Because what if this person doesn't understand me? Now I must try to save my life, because what if this person doesn't get it? Now I must figure out what to do. And so obviously, we're not advocating here uh, becoming passive or indifferent to life, not taking responsibility for our life. But we're speaking primarily about returning to a deeper listening to God first. In other words, fostering this Marian posture before all of life before every moment of my life. Whether I am in prayer or whether I am working. Whether I am in solitude or whether I am surrounded by people. 
whether I'm experiencing consolation or desolation. For Our Lady, God was not a problem to be solved. God was not a problem that she had to figure out. But he was a mystery to be embraced. How do we begin then to embrace this mystery that is God? Well, how did Mary approach the mystery of God? She approached him with deep reverence, with profound faith, with humility, but most of all, with a listening heart. And I think just possibly, there's certainly more, but two reasons for approaching God primarily with this listening heart. And the first is simply because God, the mystery, is always greater than us, infinitely greater than us. He is always more than we can understand and comprehend. And if you haven't noticed, God usually doesn't follow our ways, our ideas, and our plans. And to that we should say, thank God. Because if God did follow our ways and could be fully comprehended by us, it would not be God that we are following or seeking but most likely ourselves. And the final, the second reason here, and the final point is that the mystery God is always, always at work. God is always present. In every moment, in every circumstance, and in every situation. You know, so many people ask me today, just because of the nature of the world, where is God? I'm like, he's right here. Where where do you think he is? But in even order to be, in, in order to be able to begin to live from that awareness, because we all obviously know this, somewhat in our heads, but to live from this awareness of this truth, we must practice this deep listening with Mary and to say with her, here I am, Lord, with all of myself, just simply before you. I want and I desire nothing else. When we can say that more regularly and sincerely, 
we will know that this Marian posture is beginning to take root in us and that the kingdom of God is very near.